The Guardian. Again, I'm Michael White, and this is the Guardian Daily, uh, broadcast from Westminster as the new Parliament settles down. We've had a, an unscheduled uh, statement from the new Chief Secretary, David Laws. George Osborne didn't turn up to uh, take Alistair Darling, the ex-Chancellor's challenge. The Conservatives did not say that they were going to cut beyond eliminating what they said was waste and efficiency. They've gone far beyond that today. And does he not accept also that he campaigned explicitly on a platform of not reducing expenditure this year? He is an intelligent enough man to know that there are only three ways of tackling the structural deficit that we've got. We can either cut spending, we can cut welfare payments, or we can raise taxes. And we've also managed to get our first podcast interview with one of the candidates for the Labour leadership, John McDonnell. Why not cool it? Basically put everyone on the ballot paper. We've only got six. It's reasonable. Have a proper debate. If anyone's excluded, there'll always be a group of people in the party who say they never had a choice. And I'm John Dennis at The Guardian's HQ with other news today. We'll hear from Thurston Moulton in North Yorkshire, where there's a by-election tomorrow, the first elected test for the new coalition government. When you're electioneering it tends to be quite local and we've tried to make our campaign very traditional, very local. We've been around all the villages. And Glastonbury Festival organisers announce who'll replace you 2 as headliners. It's Gorillas. There's been a huge almost sigh of relief because of that. You know, it's it doesn't the gorillas don't feel like a gimmick anymore or a concept. You know, they feel like a real they feel like a band. Parliament's beginning to feel a bit more normal again now for the first time in weeks. Uh, up on the board uh, at half past 11 this morning came uh, a PNQ, private notice question. Basically, it's an emergency question which the Speaker allows if he thinks it's appropriate. Who did it come from? Alistair Darling, the former Chancellor. Why was it asked and granted? Because MPs in all parties were a bit sore that uh, George Osborne and his new deputy at the Treasury, David Laws, the Lib Dem MP, uh, gave their uh, cut statement to journalists on Monday when they could have saved it and given it to uh, uh, the politicians here at Westminster, as they promised to do, MPs first, uh, when the House was back on Tuesday or today. Anyway, uh, Darling asked his question of the Chancellor of the Exchequer. Interesting. George Osborne didn't turn up. I'm afraid uh, uh, that Gordon Brown would have done just the same when he was Chancellor. Instead, he uh, packed off laws to do it. Uh, uh, First time, crowded House. Mr Speaker... Mr Speaker, I am extremely grateful both to you and to the Shadow Chancellor for this early opportunity to set out to this House the action that this Government is taking to deal with the urgent economic situation and, frankly, the economic mess that we have inherited. A lot of MPs never seen a question and answer session before, let alone participated, as several of the new boys and girls did, I noticed. Brazen types. Uh, How did David Laws do? Actually, pretty well. He's a very smart fellow. He could have been turned over. I thought he handled the house pretty well. Let's find out what other MPs thought. Joe Swinson, no longer the baby of the house. I don't know who's, who's younger than you now. Oh, look, quite a few you now. I think Pamela Nash is the baby of the house. But of course, Chloe Smith became the baby of the house last July after the by-election. And there's so also competitive. Uh, Gemma Doyle. It's good to see a lot of young faces in Parliament. Now, you were at what age the baby of the house? Remind us. Uh, from 25 to 29, actually. And the new baby of the house is how old? Uh, I think Pamela is 25 also. What advice would you have to give somebody who's in this? 
terrific but also slightly intimidating position. How should she go about it? Uh, well, I find that if you ask lots of questions of colleagues and of people that have been here before, then that certainly is helpful. And uh, you know, remember you're here to serve your constituents and don't be too intimidated by it all. You plunged into Alistair Darling's uh, set-piece statement today, asked a question of the government, but here it was, your own government, David Laws. How do you feel about that? Well, I, I don't think it's necessarily what we expected a few weeks ago, but to be able to... Oh, yeah, uh, indeed, but to be able to be asking a, a government minister about putting fairness at the heart of how we tackle the deficit when I spent the last few weeks campaigning on a manifesto that promoted fairness is something which I think is a, is a very good thing. And, it, you know, ultimately we're going to be able to put a lot of good Lib Dem policies into practice and also to show that coalition and working with other parties can actually work. Joe Swinson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Most people realise that to tackle the deficit, cuts will be inevitable, but it's important that they do not fall hardest on the most vulnerable in society. Will my honourable friend tell us whether he has already rejected any cuts on the basis of the impact on the most vulnerable and whether he will ensure the principle of fairness is uppermost in his mind as he faces the difficult task of finding future cuts to tackle the deficit? I agree entirely with my honourable friend and both the Chancellor of the Exchequer and I have rejected proposals that have come forward. Uh, from officials and others to make cuts where we believe that those would endanger either the key frontline services that all of us want to protect or people on low incomes. And all of us know that the decisions that we take to get on top of this public sector deficit that we've been left are going to be increasingly difficult. But in our minds, in this spending review, in the budget and in the next spending review, will always be the need not only to protect those frontline services, but to protect those people in our society who would otherwise be most vulnerable to the action that we have to take to deal with the public sector deficit that we've inherited. I take it from that you were reasonably encouraged by uh, David Laws, because a lot of Labour members, predictably you may say, said, hang on a minute, you campaigned against these cuts and here you are implementing them with gusto, dare I say. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, I think... <clears throat> Labour MPs are kidding themselves if they think that under Labour there wouldn't have been any cuts. Now, there, you can have the argument about 2020 or 2011, but what we've seen unveiled this week is a, a very small taste, sadly, of what's to come. And I think politicians are, uh, are kidding the electorate if they aren't honest about that, because we have a £167 billion deficit, and that's just an annual deficit. If you actually look at the national debt, you've got something approaching a trillion pounds. We do need to deal with that, and whichever party had won the election, as they did all admit on the television debates, was going to have to implement some pretty different difficult cuts. Uh, we bumped into our old uh, Guardian podcasting friend Richard Harrington, uh, recently took three-way marginal at Watford. What did you think of your first sparring session in the chamber? Well, I must say I was very impressed with David Laws, a person who I haven't personally come across before. Looked as if he'd been doing it for years, didn't he? Did. he? He's very impressive and he showed himself to be in command of the situation, but I thought the job of the opposition financial team led by Alistair Darling was totally ridiculous anyway, since it was quite obvious that um, they were in no position to rebut anything that he said. Right, I've got Natasha Engel, who now passes as an old lag uh, uh, here because you were elected in 2005. 2005. And saved your seat against slightly against the odds. Yes. Bit tricky. Yep. And uh, in Derbyshire. And Toby Perkins, are you a new Derbyshire member? From Chesterfield, yes, that's right, which so we won off the Liberal Democrats. We are. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're the one who got it back. Tony yes. Ben's old seat, yes. as was, uh, with a crooked spire. Yes, very that's true. Chesterfield. Right. Now, for your first time, you've seen question time. How was it for you? 
Oh, it was really exciting. All those times I've watched it on the television and uh, actually to be there and just looking forward to uh, um, finding my feet and uh, you know making my own contribution. But no, it was really good to, to see the Chief Secretary to Treasury struggling like that and uh, uh, I think it could be quite a lot of fun that we're going to have there. Mr Dennis Skinner. Is the Minister aware that not a single Cabinet member has turned up to back him in this statement here today? They're, they're all part of this rag-tag and bobtail army. Not one of them. Isn't that, can there be a more pathetic sight of this Liberal Democrat who campaigned against cuts in 2010 now hammering the young and the old and putting people on the dole and a member of this rag-tag and bobtail government. First, firstly, on the issue of the Cabinet, the Cabinet have given support where it matters most in delivering the savings. These savings were delivered in a matter of days, something which his colleagues were never able to do. And when he talks about the decisions that we've made, Perhaps he could acknowledge two things. Firstly, that we've protected the NHS. We've protected schools. We've done something that he might have aspired to do if he'd had influence on the last government, put money into social housing. And we've done something, Mr Speaker, we've done something that the last Labour government failed to do, which is to announce from April 2011 the restoration of the earnings link on the state pension. And he should could see that David Laws was a bit nervous the first time he's, he's acted in that Did all right, uh, though. area. Well, I think, I mean, obviously the Guardian would say that, but... Uh, oh, I think, unkind, <laughs> unkind. No, we enjoyed it, and uh, obviously the first of many more of those to come. Tasha Engel, you've seen it all before. Yeah, it's funny seeing it from the other side, although I don't know whether funny is the right word. As you'll, much get, as... you'll get used to it. Oh, I'm not sure and... I will. I, I have no intention of getting used to it. And uh, David Laws... When I said to Toby Perkins, he did all right. He didn't behave like a man who had not been at the dispatch box before. Some people stumble this, and some people, you know, add up to it like a duck to water. He seemed to be somebody who might have done it a dozen or 50 times. No, I mean, he was very confident, but I think um, it took him a while to get used to not asking the questions and actually yeah, answering them. That. And I don't, think, uh, I don't think he gave adequate responses. And I think he really stumbled on the Future Jobs Fund. Now, that's, that really is something on our side that is a massive issue. I really hope that they do provide the evidence. I mean, one of the issues at Question Time was about the evidence that the DWP had allegedly given him mm. um, about the Future Jobs Fund not working. Now, we have very recently been in government and we were given... Very very contradictory um, evidence on that. So I really hope that, uh, you know, I, I know that we as an opposition are really going to press on that, but I hope that he, who is now in government, actually provides some of the evidence for that, because that's quite a serious allegation. We've been trying to stop candidates for the Labour leadership. They're all scurrying by looking purposeful. Uh, Diane Abbott on a mobile phone narrowly evaded our attention, but no, here comes John McDonnell, uh, the left-wing candidate, the campaign group candidate MP for Hazen Harlington, Heathrow Airport's MP. Uh, yes, he's slowing down. We're in luck. How's it all going? All right, very good. I'm touring around union conferences at the moment. Yeah, we saw that. Getting a fair amount of um, support from rank-and-file Labour Party members. The general view at the moment that's coming out different 
union conferences and left organisations, well, party organisations overall, is the party should be big enough to accommodate all candidates. In other words, your problem is getting 33 exactly. nominations well, out of 255 MPs. It is really hard going. It's tough. Yeah, and I warned, I warned everyone last time I couldn't get on the ballot paper. It would be equally difficult this time. Because you've got another cool. split-left situation, as well, you did not, with Michael Meacher. Now you've got Diane Abbott. To a certain extent, but Diane's made it clear... Uh, on our television programme last week that she wasn't standing to take the party to the left, she's standing as a black woman. And what I'm saying Why is... Why don't you have a television programme, John <laughs> I think this is not fair. Uh... <laughs> Michael, we'll do it jointly together. I'll sit on the same sofa like that Diane and Michael Portillo with you, oh, shall we? Oh. Look, I think what I'm trying to say to people is Labour Party members want a, a real ballot this time. They want a real discussion and debate. Such a mistake last time. It was a disaster. It? Coronation yeah. was a disaster. Especially for Jordan Brown. I think it damaged him from the outset, yep, yeah. Yep. So, why not cool it? Uh, basically put everyone on the ballot paper, we've only got six, it's reasonable, have a proper debate. If anyone's excluded, there'll always be a group of people in the party say they never had a choice. But this would require a tweaking of the rules? So no, that the no, 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 it doesn't, no, it could, it could require tweaking of the rules and that could be done, but better still, what I'm saying to the other candidates, once you've got your 33, the interest of democracy, urge other supporters to nominate the other candidates. In that way, amicably, we all get on the ballot paper. There we are. That's a very positive uh, remedy, which I should have thought of myself. Were you in the chamber for the David Law's debut? I wasn't, I'm afraid. I was stuck in the constituency because I've got the cabin crew dispute at the moment, which is a nightmare, and I'm trying to get that resolved. Yeah, well, that's pretty frightening. On the other hand, you've got the threat of the third runway lifted off many Wonderful. of your constituents Wonderful. By, by the coalition government. Here's the ironic thing. Right in the last negotiations, Ed Miliband put the third runway on the table to win the support of the Liberals. Why couldn't he have listened to Labour MPs like me about it? Oh, dear. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks a lot. And back to John Dennis at Guardian headquarters in King's Cross. Thanks, Mike. Well, coming up in today's show, more politics in North Yorkshire, where Lib Dem and Tory candidates are fighting each other in a by-election. But first, it was us or the Beatles, and they split up years ago. That was how one of the animated characters that make up the band Gorillaz reacted to the news today that they'd be replacing U2 as headliners at the Glastonbury Festival. Other acts, including the Rolling Stones, Paul McCartney and Jay-Z, had been mentioned. So... I asked Guardian reporter Alexandra Topping, who broke the news today, why gorillas? Well, I think it's quite a surprising one in some respects um, because, you know, Blur had only played at Glastonbury last year and, and Damon Alban himself had such a huge moment on stage that I think for a lot of people, myself included, he was a little bit too close, really. Um, but the gorillas are a, are a huge act. Um, I'm sure Alban's been in contact with the Glastonbury you know, organisers. And I think they're going to be, they're going to be absolutely fantastic on the Pyramid stage. They've also, they're promoting a new album. They've been playing live gigs. So it's, it's not that surprising, I suppose, in retrospect. They've been around for quite a few years, but their recent gigs have got uh, rave reviews and, uh, and they're focusing more on the actual musicians rather than the, the cartoons by Jamie Hewlett and all the other kind of uh, multimedia stuff that went with the Gorillaz uh, concept. Absolutely, and I think um, there's there's been a huge uh, almost sigh of relief because of that. You know, it's it doesn't the gorillas don't feel like a gimmick anymore or a concept. 
know, they feel like a real, they feel like a band, even though it's, you know, a very loose organisation and the only constant there is is Alban himself. And what about you two? Because they were originally supposed to be headlining Glastonbury in this slot, uh, now replaced by Gorillaz. Yeah, I was speaking to uh, Paul McGuinness, the U2 manager yesterday, and he told me it was just a hugely unfortunate accident. Um, Bono was in uh, training, physical training for the huge US tour that they had coming up this summer um, and t- damaged his back really quite seriously um, to the extent that he was in the first stages of paralysis, apparently. Um, so he had to have emergency surgery on his spine and his doctors have ruled him out of moving um, and definitely out of performing for the next eight weeks. So there was just no way they could play. And what is it about this particular slot at Glastonbury that uh, is, makes it one of the, the most important sort of musical events of the year? Well, on the Friday, you know, that's the first big, big night where everyone is finally on site and everybody's ready and raring to go. So it's that headline slot that kind of sets the tone for the weekend. Um, and, you know, obviously this year it's the 40th anniversary of Glastonbury, so it's, it's a huge deal, really, for any band that's up there. Alexandra Topping. Now, tomorrow sees the first by-election of the new parliament. It was caused by the death before the general election of the UKIP candidate in Thursk and Moulton in North Yorkshire. Well, coalition partners they may be, but the Liberal Democrats and Conservatives are both contesting this seat. The Guardian's Martin Wainwright asked the Tory candidate, Anne McIntosh, how the coalition agreement had gone down on the doorstep. Well, I think the overwhelming feeling we're getting on the doorstep is one of huge support uh, and enthusiasm for the new coalition. And interestingly, as the coalition was being formed in Filey and in Moulton, two days running, and since the coalition has been formed, we are have people saying on the doorstep they are switching from Liberal Democrat to Conservatives because they so like the fact that David Cameron has captured the mood of the country. Did you yourself have any input in the sense that um, they must have been aware that you, you, you were the, the one candidate who still had you know, had to undergo the fire? <laughs> and, and I don't know if they got onto you or you got onto them to give your views about when, when all those negotiations were going on. Well, they, they were very kind. Um, I had uh, a number of phone calls just to see that I was all right and uh, just explaining um, how the coalition would work. Uh, but obviously, when, when you're electioneering, it tends to be quite local. And we've tried to make our campaign very traditional, very local. We've been around all the villages, all the market towns again and again. Um, it's been a bit surreal. A six or seven week campaign is a long job interview. But it because two-thirds of the constituency is new to me and I'm new to them, it has given me a wonderful opportunity to reach out to the places and meet the people in parts that I couldn't possibly have met in a three-week campaign. And is it the economy? Is that, is that people say, you know, it's the economy stupid, that ultimately that's what people vote for? Is, is that really the overwhelming thing? I think there's an anger out there that the Conservative Party is tapping into and particularly the ignorance about farming issues and the countryside and the neglect of the rural economy. Delivering public services like the ambulance service, like education, like health care for the elderly in rural areas is completely different and needs to be differently thought through and requires different solutions to an urban area. And I think there is an anger out there that I hope will be converted into a positive vote for me and for the Conservative Party 
on polling day. And Mackintosh. Well, the acting Labour leader, Harriet Harman, was in the constituency today and Martin asked her what she thought about voters' apparent enthusiasm for the LibCon coalition. Well, I think it is very much a novel arrangement and I think the people who are wondering what they're going to come up with first and foremost are the people on their own back benches who are absolutely perplexed by the whole arrangement, particularly because there doesn't seem to be that much in common in the Conservative manifesto, which they've just got elected on, um, compared to the Lib Dem manifesto, which they've just got elected on. So um, I think it's a bit of a cut and paste job um, at the moment. Um, I think the public always like to see people trying to make things work and they don't like to see punch-ups for the sake of it but I think above all what's important for the public is that the economy works well and that we keep our public services working well I mean that's foremost their duty. Coming to an area like this does it whet your appetite for electoral reform uh, a place like this where Labour on the whole um, you know may may perform punchily and may do quite well but it's um, you know it's kind of Tory land. Well, we've had in our manifesto that we want there to be a referendum on the voting system to give people a choice. And when we've introduced um, devolution to Scotland and Wales, we've given a more proportional, a different sort of voting system for the parliaments for Wales and the Assembly for Scotland. But I'm here supporting our excellent candidate, Jonathan Roberts, who is a local man who uh, is very energetic and enthusiastic and I think will be a thoroughly good MP. Harriet Harman. Phil Maynard was the producer of today's edition of Guardian Daily and my name's John Dennis. Thank you for listening.